So Matthew chapter 18, we are uh, at the tail end of this sermon series on relational conflict amongst the people of God. Um, this is the last sermon uh, that we'll do in this series. Next week, we'll turn to our Advent sermon series. We'll be jumping around the New Testament, um, studying the incarnation of Jesus that God put on flesh in Christ. But we've got one more uh, passage from Matthew 18 uh, that we'll look at in light of how God instructs us to work through conflict uh, within the church. Uh, so last week, we looked at Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. We studied this process uh, that Jesus lays out for confronting sin within the church when we're sinned against by a brother or sister. Um, and this week, Jesus is going to uh, resolve uh, this whole process. Uh, Jesus is going to refer to two kinds of currency within the text. I want to give you a heads up on what he's talking about. He's going to refer to a talent, uh, a man who owes 10,000 talents to uh, his debtor. And uh, a talent uh, was basically an annual salary for a common laborer. So roughly $40,000. And the man in the story is going to owe 10,000 talents. So $400 million, uh, the man is in debt uh, to try to bring it close to our own standards. Uh, the second kind of money mentioned is a denarii. And another man is said to be in debt 100 denarii. And a, de a denarii was basically a day's wage. So anywhere from 50 to $100 for a common laborer. The man's in debt 100 denarii, much less uh, five to $10,000, this, this second man is in debt. So I'll read these words for us, gives you a little bit of context related to the financial situation. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When the king began to settle, one of his servants was brought to him who owed the king 10,000 talents. And since the servant could not pay, his master, the king, ordered the servant to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for the servant, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing his fellow servant, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. The, the servant refused and went and put the second servant in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, 
they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned the first servant and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the servant's master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Punishment or pardon? Truth or grace? Judgment or forgiveness? When it comes to the two sides of this equation, our current cultural moment certainly leans toward the punishment, truth, and judgment side of things. Perhaps the first instance of this was the Me Too movement in which hundreds of powerful men, celebrities, business executives, politicians, they were called to account for sexual harassment. Women shared their stories and brought truth to light, especially through the powerful means of social media. Another evidence of our lean towards the punishment, truth, judgment side is what we've called cancel culture. In surveys done by Pew Research, they report that most Americans define cancel culture as actions taken to hold others accountable. So Will Smith lost movie deals for slapping Chris Rock. Ellen DeGeneres lost her show for treating employees badly. J.K. Rowling lost a lot of fans for expressing unpopular opinions on transgenderism. So the Me Too movement, cancel culture, and there's another instance pushing us towards the punishment, truth, judgment side. It's really embodied, I think, by our former President Trump. It's the rejection of being politically correct. This was and is, I imagine, a big part of Trump's appeal, and many other politicians have followed in his wake. You know, don't be PC, don't tiptoe around what you really think, just speak the truth, share your judgment even if it's harsh by the standards of political correctness. So in many ways, there's this societal pull towards the punishment, truth, judgment side of the equation. And certainly, as we saw in last week in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, the Bible is pro-accountability. Jesus lays out this process for speaking honestly about sin in the church. He gives the church authority to draw strong boundaries between themselves and unrepentant members. Treat them as a tax collector or Gentile, he said. And then right on the heels of teaching that, I mean, immediately after, he shares the longest sustained treatment on interpersonal forgiveness in the entire New Testament. So last week, the main point of Matthew 18, 15 through 20 was we said that God's people confront 
one another's sin. And this week we're saying the main point of Matthew 18, 21 through 35 is that God's people forgive one another's sin. And to walk through this passage of scripture, we're asking three questions. What is forgiveness? How often do we forgive others? And why is forgiveness necessary? What is it? How often do we have to do it? And why do we do it? Why is it necessary? So first, what is forgiveness? Well, within the story that Jesus tells, twice a request for forgiveness is made. An initial request is made by the first servant to the king, and then a second request is made by the second servant to the first servant. And each time the request is worded like this, have patience with me and I will repay the debt. That's in verse 26 and then again in verse 29. Have patience with me. And the Old English translation, or for what's translated as patience here, the Old English word was a more graphic and perhaps more appropriate term. It was long-suffering. Long-suffering. That's what it means to have patience with someone. That's what it means to forgive someone, to suffer long because of them. One author puts it this way. Patience is the ability to bear suffering rather than to give it. So to forgive someone's debt to you is to absorb that debt yourself. Say it again. Patience is the ability to bear suffering rather than to, for, rather than to give it. So to forgive someone's debt to you is to absorb that debt yourself, to long suffer because of them. The author then goes on to give this example. He says, so if a friend borrows your car, he totals it through reckless driving, and he doesn't have the ability to pay you back, you may say to that person, I forgive you. But the price of what they've done wrong to your car, the price of that doesn't just evaporate into thin air. No, you either have to find the money to buy a new car or you go without one. Either way, forgiveness means the cost of the wrong moves from the perpetrator who wrecked your car to you, and you have to bear it. That's what forgiveness is, long-suffering, absorbing the debt you owed, paying the cost that should have been paid to you. And it's right here that we see that forgiveness gets to the heart of the gospel. You see, Scripture speaks of our sin in terms of us being in debt to God. It's a debt that, like the first servant in the story, we could never repay. We can't repay this debt by doing good deeds. We can't repay this debt by religious devotion. Our debt to God is astronomical. But the gospel, the good news, is that God sent his son Jesus to die in our place, to bear our sin, to suffer our judgment for sin. 
the debt we owed to God didn't just evaporate into thin air. No, the cost was paid, just not by us. God paid the price. God long suffered. God bore with us through the death of his son, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven. That's the gospel. And so I must ask, have you received from God for your sins forgiveness? Have you received from God debt-canceling, sin-erasing forgiveness? In Acts chapter 10, verse 31, the apostle Peter is sharing the gospel with a group of people, and he ends his message with these words. He says, to him, that is Jesus, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You see, that's the fundamental response that the gospel requires. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Put your trust not in yourself to pay the debt on your own. Put your trust not in yourself to earn God's forgiveness by being a good person, by being a religious person, because it never adds up for us trying to do it on our own. No, the call of the gospel is to believe in Jesus, put your trust in Jesus and the cost he paid to absorb our debt and free us from the judgment we deserve. So forgiveness is right at the heart of the gospel and why Jesus came to us to pay the price that we owed to show the long-suffering heart of God. That's what forgiveness is, bearing with someone, suffering with someone. But secondly, how often should we forgive? How often should we forgive? Now, this is the actual question directly asked to Jesus here after he shares how to confront a brother in sin. In verses 15 through 20, Peter then asks Jesus in verse 21, how often, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus responds, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of you may have a translation that says 70 times seven. This way, uh, the way this Greek phrase is constructed, it could be translated 77 times or 70 times seven. It's hard to be certain, but either way, Peter's modest proposal of forgiving someone seven times falls way short of what Jesus requires, and that's the point Jesus is making. There's often a limit, sometimes a quick limit, to our willingness to forgive someone. So he says 77 times, 70 times seven is how often we should forgive someone. And all the commentators agree that Jesus is speaking hyperbolically here because the number seven represents completeness or totality. And so to say 77 or 70 times seven is essentially to say there's no limit. There's no tallying up how much we forgive someone. Instead, forgiveness is really 
a matter of the heart, as he says in verse 35. And if we're literally keeping count of how much we've forgiven someone, then have we really forgiven them? I've had the experience of walking with a family through the painful reality of addiction. One of the children becomes hooked on narcotics, addicted to painkillers, and what then often happens is that the parent of that child goes broke, or nearly so, because they're paying bail money, they're paying for rehab, they're paying to take care of their eventual grandchildren, they're paying all sorts of intervention and help, sometimes for years on end, for years on end. The cost of their love is high. But I've seen in these mothers' hearts 77, 70 times seven, whatever it takes, whatever the cost for however long. Doesn't mean there's no accountability, but there is also no end to their mercy. So brothers and sisters, who in your life have you given up on? Who in your life are you now withholding forgiveness from? Who is there in your life that you can barely look at them? Who is there in your life that maybe secretly you're harboring bitterness towards them? Now, forgiving them doesn't mean that you're not honest about the wrong that they've done and forgiving them doesn't mean that you can just magically forget the pain that they've caused you. But the Lord is calling us to abundance of mercy. And there can be by the power of the gospel, a bottomless well from which we draw grace to extend to one another, 77, 70 times seven. That's how often we are to forgive one another. So what is forgiveness? How often do we do it? And finally, why is forgiveness necessary? Why is forgiveness necessary? So again, to illustrate this point about why unending forgiveness is necessary, Jesus tells a story pretty straightforward story. There's a king, or he's also called a master, and his first servant owes him 10,000 talents, or as we said, about $400 million. So this first servant owes just an unthinkable amount of money, 10,000 lifetimes of an annual salary. And because the servant can't pay the money, understandably, the king orders that everything the man owns must be sold in its place so that at least as much possible payment can be made. This guy's going to lose everything. So as we saw, he begs for mercy. He asks for patience, for long-suffering from the king. And Jesus says that the king then took pity on this man. The king releases him from capture and forgives his debt. But then straight away, this first servant heads to a fellow servant and he reminds him, hey, 
you owe me 100 denarii, which was, again, from $5,000 to $10,000. And this first servant so intently wants his money back. Jesus says he's choking him, yelling at him, pay what you owe. The second servant likewise begs for mercy. He asks for patience from the first servant, but the first servant has him thrown in prison for not paying his debt. So Jesus is highlighting the obvious hypocrisy here, right? This guy is willing to receive forgiveness, but he's not willing to give it. In fact, he's willing to give, he's willing to receive a lot of forgiveness, but he's unwilling to give a relatively small amount of forgiveness. The point is that this story is ridiculous. I heard some of you guys chuckling as I was re-explaining it. It's ridiculous that somebody would do this. Who could possibly receive so much mercy and then right away be unwilling to give so little mercy? Who could do that? Jesus' point is that we do that. When we receive the superabundant amount of mercy from God through Christ and then withhold the relatively small amount of mercy when our brother sins against us. Is there a real cost when our brother sins against us? Does it really hurt when we're sinned against? Absolutely. But Jesus' point is that there's nothing compared to the debt incurred when we sin against God. And God forgave that incomparable debt through the cross. So how can we withhold forgiveness from one another? That's why, verse, that's why, point three, forgiveness is necessary. Because we've been forgiven so much. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, the apostle Paul writes to the church and he says to us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So that's the template for how we are to forgive. The way God forgave us through Jesus. You see, the cross not only shows us how to be forgiven, the cross shows us how we are to extend forgiveness to one another. It's a sacrificial forgiveness. It's a costly forgiveness. And it's a super abundant amount of forgiveness. That's why forgiveness is necessary because we've been forgiven so much. Forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Otherwise, if we don't forgive as we've been forgiven, Jesus says, we will answer for it. You remember how the story ends. The first servant's lack of mercy is reported to the king. The king then summons the first servant. The king says to him, starting in verse 32, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I forgave you? 
And then he throws the first servant in jail. And Jesus concludes by saying, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this is a serious matter. And I think Jesus' point is that if we withhold forgiveness from our brothers, have we really experienced the forgiveness of God? He's saying it's impossible to have truly experienced the abundant forgiveness of our holy, righteous creator God for all of our terrible crimes against him and then turn around and not forgive our fellow man. That's why he says, so also my heavenly father will do to each of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Because if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, you don't really know God's forgiveness. Amber Geiger is a former Dallas police officer who's been found guilty of murdering a man named Botham Jean, 26-year-old man. The case became a national story a few years ago because of the circumstances surrounding the crime, which included allegations of racism. Geiger was a Caucasian police officer. Botham Jean was an African-American man. Geiger shot and killed Botham in his own home. She alleged that she mistakenly entered the wrong apartment, thought Botham was a burglar. And when Geiger was sentenced to just 10 years in prison, some voices outside of the courtroom thought that that was far too lenient. But inside the courtroom, there was another voice was the voice of Botham Jean's brother, Brant. And after the sentence was handed down, after the trial was over, the judge allowed Brant to make a victim impact statement. And in his statement there in the courthouse, Brant forgave Amber Geiger. And he said that he didn't wish her any harm. In fact, he said, he loved her and encouraged her to look to Christ. He then asked the judge if he could approach his brother's killer and give her a hug. And the judge allowed it. When you hear a story like this, it makes you ask, what in the world? <laughs> what motivated this man to forgive his brother's murderer right in the midst of her trial. He forgives this woman who took his brother's life. Well, as Jesus said elsewhere in Luke chapter 7, he who has been forgiven little loves little. And he who has been forgiven much loves much. And brothers and sisters, we, like our brother Brant, we through Christ have been forgiven much. And this enables us to love much, to forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven. Forgiving doesn't mean that we don't hold others accountable. Forgiving doesn't mean we don't acknowledge the pain and speak the truth about what happened to us. But forgiveness does mean 
we let go of the debt. Forgiveness does mean we absorb the cost. Forgiveness does mean we set aside our need for personal retaliation. We set aside our need for personal retaliation and we embrace our perpetrator. The way Brant embraced Amber, the way God through Christ has embraced each one of us. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of culture that our Lord is calling us to. Not a cancel culture where we immediately write one another off as soon as we're offended. And not a all grace culture where we don't hold one another accountable. The Lord is calling us to a culture of truth and grace, a culture of accountability and forgiveness. And so may the Lord work amongst us by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we could live in truth and in grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to God's word together, and I will pray for us. Our forgiving God, we come before you in the name of him who was the price paid on our behalf. We come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus who laid down his life, who bore the judgment we deserved, who paid the debt we could never repay. God, we praise you for your long suffering heart. Each one of us, as we look back over the timeline of our lives, we have incurred a whole lot of debt to you. Through things we've said, through actions we've taken, through attitudes we've carried, we have incurred an insurmountable amount of debt. And so we thank you for the spotless, glorious, beautiful life of Christ. And we thank you for his gruesome death where he paid the penalty, where he suffered the judgment so that we could be released, so that we could be forgiven. Father in heaven, I pray for any here who are under the weight of their sin. I pray for any here who are feeling the insurmountable task of earning your forgiveness because they keep failing over and over and over again. I pray, Father, that you would lift their heads that they may behold Christ, the one who paid the infinite price. Father, I pray for any here who don't think they really have any debt before you. They think they're a relatively good person. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, would you convince us of our true state? 
our brokenness, our guilt, our debt. Bring us to a place of humiliation and desperation so that we would cry out to you. God, forgiveness is ultimately a matter of the heart. None of us can just will it. None of us can just get over it. God, we need you to work in us by the power of the gospel, by the beauty of Christ, by the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come amongst us, soften us, so that we could be a culture of truth and grace. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's respond in.